You know, um, Christmas is often a time to reflect as we're coming into this season, and I just want to recognize for many, this is a great time of celebration, the games, you know, eat till you can't move, all of that kind of stuff, watch TV that you'd never watch any other time of the year, but it's Christmas, so why not? That, that is what happens for many. For many, this is a real time of pain over relationships, sometimes mistakes over relationships that you've made or other people have made, and this is a time where it kind of hits home. And some, this is a time of recognizing loss. You know, this is the first year without my dad. My dad won't be there at Christmas. And I don't know quite how that's going to be for us. So I recognize that. And I think as we've been looking at this letter to the Colossians that Paul has written and that we've been looking in the last few, I think the main message that will come out is that Christ is in it all. (laughs) He is with us in the celebration. He is with us in the pain. This is all about Christ and about Jesus. And we've got to remember that this Christmas. There is grace for you in every circumstance, in the celebration, in the loss, even in the broken relationships, his grace is there. And so we're looking actually as we come to a close in this letter, Paul is reflecting, uh, he was a single guy, so he, he didn't write ever really much about his family, but what he reflects on in, in closing, as it were, at the end of this letter, I guess at the end of a, a year, I don't know when he wrote it, but as he writes it in reflection, what he reflects on is the team that he's part of. <laughs> He, he, he doesn't write much about his family, but he reflects on his team. And we're going to finish that. And this is a great time of year to reflect on the teams that God has given us, the, the connections, the relationships around us. And, and I want to look at how we grow great teams off of what Paul has said. As we reflect this year on what's gone, it's time to prepare also for the new year as that, uh, as that comes. And just think about this guy. You know, if you think about all the people who changed the world, you know, Churchill, Napoleon, Justin Bieber, you know, these guys who've changed change the direction of human history, some for good, some for bad. Uh, none of them, none of them were as influential as Paul. I mean, this, this humble tent maker who traveled the world a little bit in his region of the world and wrote, basically has changed the world almost more than any other person who's ever lived. And yet, very often with influential people, we get to see kind of the person at the front, but we don't get to see the team that's behind the person at the front. And, and you know the, the old uh, proverb says, if you want to go fast, travel alone. If you want to go far, travel together. <laughs> and that's what we see here from Paul as he reflects on his team. He had an amazing team surrounded by amazing men and women, which we don't get to hear. That I want to focus on five of the, the men that he holds up uh, now to look at our teams, because I feel like God wants to take us, this has been a year of teams for us, he, he wants to take us to a new level, I mean who knows, we've got great teams in this church, we've got, we're part of great, why don't we just celebrate that and thank God, we've got some great team leaders and great teams, we would not be here today if it were not for our great leaders and our great teams, but you know what, there is more in God, he wants to do more in us, and so let's just reflect on what he's done, and then look forward to what he's going to do ahead, let's just read, shall we, in Colossians chapter 4. And we'll read about some of Paul's teams. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Anesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, they will tell you of everything that's taken place here. And Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning him, you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus who's called Justice. They are the only men of the circumcision, basically the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a great comfort to me. 
And Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, which is two close towns to Colossae where he's writing. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. But they lost it and we never got to read it. Oh. Anyway, sorry. And say to Archippus, <laughs> those guys, say to, <laughs> get to heaven, what do you do with that letter? Say that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. <laughs> Paul reflecting on some of the great men and women who worked with him for the sake of the gospel. Just five of them, if we have time to look at very quickly. The first guy is this guy, Tychicus, and you've probably never heard of him before, but he was phenomenally influential in Paul's world. He travelled with Paul. He was sent to the Colossians. He was also sent to the Ephesians. So he was an incredibly influential guy as far as Paul was concerned. And his twofold task, Paul said, was one is to bring connection, bring relationship with you, to you, to, to tell you my news, to hear your news, because Paul was not just about the theology, you know, get your theology right and you're going to build a great team and a great church. No, no, he was about relationship and connection. And so he knew that he couldn't come because he was chained up in prison. But he said, I know I can send Tychicus. He's going to come on my behalf and connect uh, with you. And so Tychicus had that job, important job to bring encouragement and notice a few things about him. Firstly, he says he's a beloved brother. <laughs> you know, this is more than just colleagues. This is more than just getting a task done. Great teams are built on family. <laughs> Great teams are built on family connections. You can't build them just to get, I mean, tasks have to get done, but you can't build on just tasks alone, on just being work colleagues together. Paul says he is a beloved brother to me. Great teams are built on family, and that's how we'll build world-changing teams. They've got a flavor of family. Notice he says he's a faithful minister. I know for us, you know, we would reference people and say, you know, they're, they're a great preacher or an ins inspirational leader or she's got great hair or he's got great shoes. You know, some people, you just won't follow anything, anyone with bad hair, which is why I look after them. <laughs> but, but, you know, we have all these things that we consider important about leaders and each of us have got different things that we think that's important about leaders. But Paul, what does he pick out out of Tychicus? He says this, He's faithful. He is faithful. He is a faithful minister. And, and you know, in our day, to be classed as a faithful minister, it's almost an insult, isn't it? It's like saying, he's not any good, but at least he's faithful. I mean, he keeps turning up. He's not really very good, but at least he's faithful. But in Paul's eyes, that was the, that was the thing he picked out. We don't know anything else really about this guy, but we do know this. Man, he was a faithful guy. He kept rocking up. He stood with Paul. And notice he says he was a fellow servant, you know, and we look, you know, he's funny, she's inspiring. Paul says he's a servant. <laughs> he's a servant. He's looking for sometimes different things to what we're looking for, and great teams are built on these things. This is a foundation, family, faithfulness, service. Wherever you go in the world, some of you will leave here one day, but I'd urge you, build teams that look like that. <laughs> that are All the other stuff's important. Gifting is important, but actually the foundation's got to be this stuff if we're going to build something that's great and that lasts. And, and I would urge you, if you're a team leader, live like that. Model that to your teams more than anything else. Let them see that in your life. And if you're in a team, be that to your team. You know, ask yourself, if I was leading this team, would I want to lead me? 
I don't ask myself that question very often, but when I do, it's a sobering moment. If I was leading this team, would I want to lead me? Are you behaving in your team as if as someone that you would like to lead? Because if you've got these qualities, if you're living out of this place, you will be. You'll be the one who turns up on time and who fulfills what you've said you'll do. And if you can't do it, you'll, you'll do everything you can to make sure it's covered before you go back to your team leader and say, look, I just have tried everything to make this work. Can, can you help me? I can't do it. I can't turn up or whatever it might be. There's something about faithfulness that's so underrated in our society. But Paul lifts it up and rates it. Communicate well. Treat your team leader as, if you, as you would want to be treated. And some of you might reflect on this year and think, I haven't been that in my team. Well, the great thing about this year, as it comes to a a conclusion, is that there's a new year beginning. (laughs) And we can begin again next year. And we can decide, this is the kind of teams I want to build. This is the kind of team I want to be part of. So great teams have got these kind of things. And Tychicus was an example of that. And Anisimus was the second guy. And Anisimus, his story, Paul again calls him faithful. Notice he picks the same word twice. He's a faithful brother. But Anisimus, if you know any other of the, of the Bible, you'll know Anisimus was, was a guy Paul also writes about when he writes to Philemon. Anisimus was basically a runaway slave. He runs away from his master Philemon and Paul writes to Philemon and says, look, I've met this guy. He's now come to Christ. Paul leads him to faith in Christ and then he sends him back to Philemon and says, I don't know what he's done to you, but let's sort it out. Let's sort it out on Christ's behalf. We need to sort it out as a brother with Christ now. And Onesimus was the guy, he, he says that Paul says he's one of you, so we know he was from Colossae. And if you think about it, Paul was educated, he probably came from a wealthy family, he was incredibly influential in the church, and Onesimus was a runaway slave. And yet Paul calls him a beloved brother. A beloved brother. And so the second thing we can learn about great teams is that Paul and Onesimus had nothing in common apart from this. Together, they had both been men who had been set free by Christ. Great teams are built on that. They are built on that foundation that we may have nothing in common but this, that we have both been set free by Christ. Christ has changed our lives. He has set us free and transformed us. And you can build on that. You can build on that foundation. And both of them had that foundation. And so if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian here today, let Anisimus be your encouragement. You know, maybe you've not got a great background. Maybe you've made loads of mistakes. Maybe your extended family photo looks like the next season of Prison Break. You know, whatever it might be, many of us come from tough, tough situations. But you need to know when you arrive in the church, you arrive with a clean slate because of what Christ has done. And you might think, do I fit in? You fit in. Not because of anything from your background. Sometimes God uses us because of our background. Sometimes he uses us despite our backgrounds. He's wanting to use us. And you can still belong to a great team. Some of you, you know, you might come from a great family. You're not a Christian here, but you come from a good family. You've got a great education. You've got a PhD in getting PhDs. I don't know. You come from a wealthy family. You come from good backgrounds. Do you fit in? Well, you do fit in, but not because of any of that stuff. You fit in because of what Christ has done. And so this may be, for you, if you're not a believer, this may be the moment this morning where you choose to accept what Christmas is all about, that a saviour come to save the world, and not just the world, he came to save you. He came to make you fit in, no matter what your background. I'll give you an opportunity later to respond to that. And Anisimus should be an example here that 
a former slave and the most influential, most educated, possibly one of the wealthiest guys around, built a team together and called one another brother, beloved brother. They built something together. And, and the, the point of note for us, and this is in church history, um, we don't know this for, for a fact, but what we do know is that in around AD 110, the bishop of Ephesus, his name was Onesimus. We don't know if it's the same guy, but I would love it, and I think it's just in the heart of God. Onesimus would have been about 70 in AD 110. Wouldn't it have been amazing for the former slave to become the bishop of Ephesus? <laughs> One of the most influential churches in that known world at the time, a former slave was leading it. I don't know if that's true, but I just, I just, I just know it is. <laughs> I just know that is the heart of God, that he would build a team through Paul that would propel a former slave to great leadership in the church. I hope it's true. You can get your money back in eternity if it's not. <laughs> and the third thing is this, this guy. So we've got Tychicus, we've got Onesimus, we've got Aristarchus. Aristarchus, Paul says, is my fellow prisoner. And those, these, a lot of these other guys were just visiting Paul, so they were just kind of hanging around, they were helping Paul out. But Aristarchus, Paul says, he's in here with me. <laughs> he was a fellow prisoner with Paul. Aristarchus is the hardcore of the lot. He's like the Jason Bourne of Paul's team. This guy was a serious hardcore nut. So when Paul is in Ephesus and, and everyone is going crazy, I mean, they hated Paul because he was telling them not to worship idols and that's where they got a lot of their money from. And so this massive crowd, if you've I've seen the kind of amphitheater in Ephesus, and it's like takes thousands, I think something like 20, 30, maybe 80,000 people. And it says it was filled with people screaming for Paul's blood, screaming for his head because of the message that he was preaching and because of the Christian message that he was calling them to and they were screaming that and, the, and Paul says let me go I want to talk to them I want to talk to them and the Christians are like you're crazy they're going to tear you apart so they won't let him go Aristarchus goes in his place Aristarchus and Gaius go and stand before the crowd this guy is hardcore 80,000 people screaming for his blood and he's like yeah alright I'll go so he goes they, he lets them seize him and he goes he takes one for the team I tell you what great teams are built on courage we hear about Paul's courage but you know what it wasn't just Paul who had courage it was his team who had courage he had men and women of courage around him Aristarchus is the ultimate take one for the team guy and you know what this acts of courage thing that we've started this year I'd urge you to get behind it we've just hit 250 acts of courage it's just been, yeah, get happy about that. That makes me happy. I mean, it's not about, it's not about the number. I think we had a hundred and so, or hundred and so TSMers out on the streets yesterday doing their little acts of courage in whatever form that looked. But some of the stories are brilliant. So let me give you some illustrations. Choosing to engage in relationship with my mum by going for coffee with her, restoration seems to be happening to a whole new level. That's an act of courage right there phoning a family member that you're estranged from and saying, can we meet for coffee? That's sometimes, that takes great courage. Leading, leading a new course at work. I started a new course at my workplace. Speaking to a school friend about Jesus. Just heard this morning a little six-year-old praying for his school teacher at, at, in school. We went to all of our neighbours with a Christmas gift and invited them to the carol service. It's one of my favourites. I was doing a second leadership coaching session with a client and she said, look, I don't need to just hear about emotional intelligence, but spiritual intelligence. 
After hearing her story and sharing the gospel, she got free from her past involvement in a spiritualist church, and I led her to Christ. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so good. Acts of courage. And so this is for all of us. Whatever it is for you, small or great, take your next step of courage. There's a box you can fill in, a card you can fill it on online. Take your next step of courage. God is doing it in all of us. This is not, I mean, I am not exempt. I'm still growing in courage. I was doing a conference just recently and uh, through an interpreter and I was training them how to pray for the sick. And as I was training them, I, I said, well, imagine my interpreter here's got a bad knee. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, oh, this is going to be boring. <laughs> That's what I, this is going to be boring. It, he said, do a live demonstration. Don't just pretend. He said, that's a word of knowledge. This is what, that's a word of knowledge. I said, okay, there's someone here with a bad knee and you've got a bad knee right now. And so we're going to do a demonstration with someone puts their hand up so she comes down the front. And I said, well, let one of my team members come up because I can't talk it through and pray at the same time. So one of my team members come and, uh, come and pray. So she came and prayed and, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, I'm not just one of your team members. Get someone who's never done it before. <laughs> So I was like, all right, someone who's never done it before, you go. Well, they were just learning. You come down the front and do it. So anyway, so I'm like, this is an act of courage for me. I'm like, this is demoing, talking them through it while it's happening. And they, so they pray for her knee. Now, usually I'm used to training people, like pray once and then pray again and then pray again. You know, you pray two or three times. So they pray for her knee and they say, okay, well, how is it? How long have you had this condition? She said, oh, about five years. And she's got, I've got pain all down one side. And so I said, well, how is it? They prayed once, she said, yeah, yeah, she said, she said, hang on, I've got to take my boots off. So she takes the boots, she walks around, she said, yeah, it's totally gone, I've been totally healed. And I was like, that's great, but it's ruined my training because now I've got, I've got no one to demo on the next bit. But these are simple acts of courage. You see, sometimes you get familiar with doing something, that's no longer an act of courage for you. Where's the Lord leading you to the next step? Aristarchus. If you're in a team, if you're leading a team, great teams are built on these acts of courage. Aristarchus was an example of that. And then John Mark. John Mark is the fourth team member that Paul talks about. And just to give you some background, if you're not familiar, you'll perhaps have heard his story. John Mark, Paul says he's the cousin of Barnabas. And uh, what happened was when Paul came to faith in Christ, the church didn't want to touch him with a barge pole because he was a persecutor of the church. But there was one man, an early believer called Barnabas, who picked up uh, Paul and connected with him and started to, 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 to bring him into the church. Now, previous to that, Peter, when he was, um, uh, the church had just got started, Peter, gets, gets the, the leader of the church at the time, gets thrown into prison, and an angel wakes him up in the middle of the night, kicks him and wakes him up, angels aren't always polite, uh, kicks him and wakes him up and leads him out of the prison in the middle of the night, past all the guards, they're just like unconscious of Peter's presence, he gets, escapes from the prison, and it says, Peter wakes up kind of in the middle of the street, thinking, how on earth did I get here? And he's got, he didn't know what to do, so he says it, he goes to the home of a lady who was actually John Mark's mother. She was the mother of John Mark. And so John Mark is right there from the early days, and she was the, the sister of, of Barnabas. And so Barnabas and John Mark were related. John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. So what happens then is John Mark is right there in the early seed church. I mean, it must have been so amazing to have been there. He'd seen all of this stuff. He knows Barnabas. Paul says, right, let's go traveling around. Let's preach the gospel wherever we go. And John, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. You know, he's my cousin. He's a good guy. Let's take him. So they take John Mark with them on their traveling journeys. However, during the second journey, John Mark bails on them. 
we don't know why, maybe an argument, maybe he just got plain terrified. I think I'd have been in that camp. And he just, he just bails on them. He just completely abandons them. They're about to start the third journey. And what happens is Barnabas says, let's take John Mark again. And Paul's like, no way. <laughs> this guy abandoned us last time. We are not taking him. And Barnabas and Paul have such a falling out over it that Barnabas goes one way with John Mark, his cousin, and Paul goes another way with Silas. And that's really the last you hear of Barnabas in his story as he goes off with John Mark. But what's interesting is that we see here, John Mark has reconnected with Paul. He's reconnected with him, and so much so that John Mark, after Paul is killed, hooks up with Peter in Rome, and John Mark is called the scribe of Peter. He writes down Peter's story, and the Gospel of Mark that we have recorded today is John Mark's writing. So this guy has seen it all. An incredibly influential guy, and there's another guy that Paul writes about in this letter, it's in this little bit here, which we read, is a guy called Demas. And Demas was clearly also a member of Paul's team, but notice what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The sub-point for all team leaders here, and for anyone who leads a team in the workplace and the church, is this. Even Paul lost people from his team. They betrayed him, they abandoned him, and the enemy wants you to think you're a failure as a leader, you've got it all wrong, you're never gonna make this, but the reality is, Paul had the same issue. Sometimes you can be the best, sometimes there are things to learn, but sometimes you can be the best leader in the world and still your team goes pear-shaped and still it goes wrong, and Paul experienced that. But the point for us, I think, is this. Don't be a Demas. Because as far as we know, Demas never returned. But John Mark quit and then changed his mind. Great teams are built on quitters who refuse to quit. Great teams are built on quitters who refuse to quit. John Mark and Demas had one thing in common. They both quit Paul's team. But what John Mark did was he turned around and he came back and then went on to have huge influence again. In fact, his later role was greater than his former role. Isn't that amazing that God used him more in the second half than he had in the first half? We don't really know much about him in the first half. In the second half, he writes part of the Bible. It's pretty, pretty good going, I think. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's right to quit, but whatever, it's not right to stay quit. <laughs> Don't stay quit. Sometimes it's right to leave a team, but whatever, don't stay left. Don't re-engage. Be like John Mark. Turn around come back into the game again and get up. And some of you here, this is your story. This is your story. You've quit. This year has been a year. You quit something. Or in the last few years, you quit and you've never gone back in. And perhaps this for you, as you reflect this Christmas, it's time to say, I want to get back in the game. <laughs> I want to get back in the team. I want to start serving and join again. I want to put behind me the issues that caused me to quit because great teams are built on quitters who refuse to quit. All of us get to the point where we think, I'm out, I'm done. I mean, several massive times in my life, I mean, I became an atheist for crying out loud. I mean, you can't get much more quit than that. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> 17, I quit. I became an atheist for two years. I left, walked away from God completely. He pulled me back again. No, you're not getting away that easy. <laughs> Pull me back again. I became a Christian again. I worked for a church. I finished a year at the church. It was such a negative experience for me. I said, I'm never working for a church again in my life. Never say that. It's foolish. <laughs> Here I am. I've quit. 
And many of us quit at various times, but sometimes it's time to realize, you know what? I might have quit, but God hasn't quit on me. He's still pursuing me. And he's calling you back in. Your movie's not over until the credits roll. That's what John Mark's, his story is. His movie could have been over when he abandoned Paul. I mean, he abandoned Paul. Seriously, he didn't just quit. He did it big style. He left Paul. But then he, came, he comes back. And his second half was greater than his first half. Great teams are built on quitters who refuse to t- quit. Last one. There's loads, so many characters in here, but last one, Epaphras. Who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature. mature. Epaphras was from Colossae. He was probably the guy who planted the Colossian church. Hugely influential. Paul, Paul looked at Epaphras and he saw a peer. He so respected this guy. In fact, he calls Epaphras a slave of Christ, which he doesn't refer to anyone else apart from himself by that phrase. He's like, this guy is the real deal. He is on here. But notice the one thing that Paul picks out about Epaphras. Of all the things he could have said, and I'm sure he, this guy was a great leader, but notice the one thing he picked out about him. He says, guys, you need to know, he prays for you. (laughs) Epaphras prays for you. Great teams are built on prayer. And so if you're a team leader, learn this from Epaphras. You can do all sorts of things to build and help and strengthen teams in this church. But don't forget this one thing, perhaps this most important thing, pray for your team. Pray for them. Pray for them. Commit yourself to pray for them. I I emailed all of our group leaders recently and and said, a number of our group leaders, and said, I am praying for you. And you could tell by the response from many of them, the shock that I would email them to say, I'm praying for you. What can I pray for? That no one had ever said that to them before. So I would urge us as leaders, be praying for us. That's the best thing that we can do, actually, is to commit to pray. And if if you're part of a team, regularly say to your team leader, whether it's hospitality or worship team leader or whatever, I am praying for you. I am praying for you. I am praying for you. You know what? What does it take to build great teams? Do you have to have a perfect background? No. Anesimus, runaway slave. He would tell. You don't have to have a great background. Do you have to get it all right? No. John Mark, he bailed on Paul. He didn't get it all right. He was still part of Paul's team. Do you have to be rich and well-educated? No. We've seen that. It's likely only a couple of the people on the list were rich. Do you have to be highly gifted? Paul doesn't even really mention people's gifting. He picks out their faithfulness. He picks out their servant-heartedness. He picks out their prayer life. I mean, gifting's important, but really, at the end of the day, Paul says, this is the team that I built, I changed the world with. (laughs) I changed the world with this team. He doesn't even mention anybody's gifts, really, apart from a few little bits here and there in his letters. But mostly, he's mentioning these kind of things. You know, if we were to have these guys here and line them up, obviously there'll be issues of raising people from the dead and all sorts. But (laughs) do you know what? At the end of the day, I don't think they will be pointing to themselves. They'd probably be a bit embarrassed. What they would be saying right now is, we were just ordinary men and women. (laughs) This is what Christ did in us. This is what he did in us. We were quitters. We were losers. This is what Christ, even Paul himself will be saying that. He said, I'm the least of all of you. 
This is not about us. This is what we have allowed. If anything, it's just what we've allowed Christ to do in us. It's about his glory. He has made us faithful. He is, we've just served. We've just been faithful like he is faithful. We've just served like he has served. He just taught us to pray. We just pray like Jesus is praying for his church. To build great teams, it's about opening our hearts and saying, Holy Spirit, I want to be part of a great, I want to be part of a world-changing team. Will you make me? I've got a rubbish background. I don't know what my family's like. Or I've got a great background. It doesn't really matter. All it matters is yieldedness to him and saying, God, you can do this. You can do this in me. You can make me into a great team leader, a great team member. But the main thing is, whatever happens, don't quit. Don't quit. Because while you're still breathing and still moving and the credits haven't rolled, you've still got a chance. Doesn't matter how old you are or how much water's gone under the bridge, you've still got a chance to build something great. Let that be the summary of this year and let that be the introduction to next year as we reflect over Christmas. Amen.